Okay, um, every year we do something not many people know. We do a volunteer combine. And uh, typically when we do the volunteer combines, because volunteering, we want the best we have to offer. Um, typically we don't show the film from our volunteer combines. But today for Super Bowl Sunday, we thought, you know what? Let's go ahead and show some of our volunteer combine film, show you what it takes to be a volunteer here. And while we're doing that, I want you to hear from a couple of our color analysts on the film you're about to see. So take it away, boys. Well, welcome everyone to KSPN's broadcast of Kensington Church 2018 Volunteer Combine. I'm your host, Jim Under, and this beautiful man next to me is Carl Pants. All right, Carl, with just a few weeks between the volunteer draft, this is a big day for all of these hopefuls. That's right, Jim, especially for those who are on the fringe. They're really going to have to put in a good showing today if they want to have any hope of getting drafted. Now, what exactly are the scouts looking for? Well, what they're looking for is quickness, good decision-making, strength, and perhaps most importantly, heart. Okay, well, it looks like our first wave of candidates are ready, so let's take a look at the Usher prospects. That's a good crew. Good crew. Our first Usher hopeful is Brian. Brian has been training all summer in the Canadian Rockies. Let's see if his hard work pays off as he is the first to run the pouch shuttle run. Off to a good start. I like the way he's taking those corners. Cornering very well. Very good, very good. Home stretch. Oh, a solid time. run by Brian. Anything under eight seconds really impresses the scouts. So it seems that Brian has set the tone for the rest of the ushers. Up next is Barbara. Barbara has shown tremendous grit and determination this offseason. And as you can see, she is all business. Good extension. I'm expecting that a good run from Barbara. Good extension. And there she's she off. Good takeoff there. There is that determination. She's cornering very well. That competitive well. fire. Cornering very well. Finishing strong. Wow, 6.91 seconds. That, that is really that good. That was incredible. Incredible it's and really all good. but guarantees Barb a spot in the first round. But you know what, Jim? The most amazing thing isn't the time, but how she handled the pouch. She protected that pouch. There was no way she was going we to We have a replay. It. Let's take a look we at have this. This is exactly what I'm talking about. Look there. At all times, two hands on the pouch. You've got to protect the pouch. Well done, Barb. Barb well done. Barb did a good job. Okay, we have one more hopeful to look at. This is Toby. Well, we're expecting big things from Toby today. He, um, he seems to have recovered from that freak staple gun accident last spring, and he's been taking personal coaching lessons from Pastor Kevin Valentine. Right, Looking well, a little wobbly. Oh, oh that tragic. Is devastating. Oh, that is that exactly is the point I was making. You've got to protect the pouch. No one-handers out there. Uh, Toby's bad form is going to cost him in this draft. Yeah, I really feel for him. You know what? It, it looks like he's going to be doing some more life coaching sessions with Pastor he's Valentine. Going to okay, it. so let's take a look at some of our nursery worker candidates. Yeah, so this, this, people don't realize that this is the hardest, but perhaps the most critical drill. It's the dirty driper dirty diaper drill. Each volunteer is going to have to change one of those nasty things. And it's not just time, it must be clean as well, correct? That's right, absolutely. Okay. The last thing any mother wants to see is a little duty on her baby's booty. Yep, well said, well said. Let's take a look at our first contestant. This is Rachel. Rachel is not one to mess with. Her dexterity and attention to detail are legendary. Look at her go! Wow. What She's technique? She's oh, having a little trouble, a little with, the trouble there there. with the wipey. No, she recovered nicely. Very, very nicely. Very nicely. Still She's a good time. Here we go. oh. Wow, that is a great wait, time. Wait, wait, not, not so fast, Jim. I think we've, we've got a replay on this. There's a problem right here. Oh, that's, that's a problem. Gross. I guess she forgot that cleanliness is next to godliness. 
That is very unfortunate. Well, let's see if we have better luck with our next hopeful. This is Michael. Yeah, a lot of fans think Michael is brash and arrogant, and they're probably right. He can be overconfident, but there is no questioning. He's got game. Look at him go. Let's see how he does. He's going good, moving fast. Whoa! Oh, whoa! Seven whoa! Seconds. That is a new combine I believe record. You're right, Jim. Wow, wow, wow. Look at Mike. Michael definitely appreciates his performance. <laughs> That's all right, Mike. You go. You made that diaper your uh, boss. All right. Well, as much as we would love to watch Michael dance, we do have one more event. Yes, and this is my personal favorite, Jim, the post. Yep. These days, safety is on everyone's mind. Absolutely. And what this drill does is it challenges our security personnel to maintain calm, don't get distracted, stay on task no matter what happens. Okay, well we have Blake and Katrina. Well Blake here is as intimidating as it gets. With him around no one's going to engage in any kind of shenanigans or tomfoolery. And, and what about Katrina? Well Katrina's only on the small side but she's got the attitude of a honey badger. She just don't care. So if I were you I would not underestimate her in this drill. Is looking good in yellow well, requirement. It's, it's not a requirement, but it does help. Okay. Well, let, they're holding on pretty good. Off to a good start. Starting with the pokes. Couple of rocks. There we go. Okay. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Uh -oh. We're I seeing a little see bit of reaction on the neck there. I think Blake Wait, may be in she trouble. She is stoic. She is stoic. Oh, oh belly poke! Blake. Belly poke! Wow. That is disappointing. You can't be fickle when you feel the tickle. You know what? Especially when everyone's well-being is at stake. Absolutely, Jim. But I tell you what, I think that was a great combine. The scouts have everything they need to determine who to draft this year as yes. volunteers. Well, there you have it. Overall, good day. Thank you for tuning in to KSPN's broadcast of Kensington's 2018 Volunteer Combine. Tune in next week where we are going to cover the Prayer Warrior Championship, where Debbie Valentine is going to defend her crown as the ultimate prayer warrior. Also, if you would like to hire Kevin Valentine as your personal life coach, all you have to do is buy Madden 2018 because he's in the game. No, seriously, he's in there. Okay, I'm your host, Jim Under, and this is Carl Pants signing off. Oh, wasn't that fun? Hey, give these guys a hand. They did a great job. Give them one more time. I'll just tell you this, my name's Kevin Valentine, I'm the lead pastor here, and in 1991, um, I started volunteering at Kensington Church up in Michigan as a college freshman. I was 17 years old, and I volunteered on the tech team, and um, I just have to tell you, it's one of the best decisions I ever made, is getting involved in, in church, because suddenly church went from something that I attended and consumed to something that I was a part of and I contributed to, and my life began to change because of the commitment that I had made. And and what I started learning was that serving and discipleship go hand in hand because serving is discipleship. If you're not serving, you're not growing spiritually. There's something about our hearts and our lives that when we step out and we begin to serve at church and people in the, in the community, when we begin to serve, we begin to grow. Why? Because Jesus said, look, go out and make disciples. You're to give your life away. And when you give your life away, you actually find life. You find the life that you've always been dreaming of. Um, you know, it's like a lot of times we think, oh, I just need to know more about the Bible and then I'll be a disciple. No, it's applying what you know. And when you read the scriptures, what you hear is, hey, if you want to grow spiritually, you need to get involved. And so today is really a day where we're inviting you to be a part of our team. And we're going to get into that a little bit more as we go throughout the day. Um, but before we do, um, uh, you know, before we get to that, I want to just get, get rolling. Today we're talking about team. Um, today is going to be fun. It's already been different. But even the message and uh, the stuff that we've got planned for you is going to be different because it's Super Bowl. Um, you know, for one of the things about church, it's 
it's, it's okay to have fun in church. Um, one of the things about, about Super Bowl Sunday is we like to go all out, play games, but also have a good, uh, a good day with the music and with the other things that we've got going on. And so here's the way the day is going to be structured. Um, we have um, eight minutes per quarter. And uh, I'm going to be talking to you in quarters, and we've taken it, we've broken it up into four different uh, portions of the message. And so I'm going to go ahead and go into the very first one, and then at halftime. This is the start of the first quarter. All right, thank you. Here we go. We've got eight minutes on the clock. We've got four parts to the message. And what I thought we would do is that I would take the word team, because today is there's no I in team, and I want to take each one of the letters of the word team and make that one of the quarters that we're going to talk about. Um, and so, so here's the acrostic, um, because here's the deal. What does it take to make a great team? How do you have a great team experience? Um, because when you're on a great team, it's unlike any other experience in life. And so the very first mark of a great team, the T in the word team, is this. The first mark of a great team is trust. When it comes to a great team, um, for, for a team, a company, a church to be great, there has to be a high level of trust among all the members of the team. And without absolute confidence and trust in your teammate, nothing great is going to be accomplished. Now, I want to talk about how trust is built because it's earned one action at a time. And this is just something that I think we forget about when it comes to, to trust. We trust people who build a track record of honesty and integrity, don't we? And it's situation by situation. They have honesty and integrity in one situation that builds a little bit of trust. They come to the next one, honesty and integrity builds a little bit of trust. Uh, next situation, honesty and integrity, it builds a little bit of trust. And suddenly you grow to trust somebody that is honest and has integrity. And what happens that you find, what you find when it comes to honesty, when it fi what you find when it comes to honest people, is honest people are, are actually usually um, humble people. Honest people are usually humble people, and humble people can be trusted. See, what happens when you're honest and you have integrity, you really um, don't shade the truth. You don't hide. You don't hide behind things that are facades because you're honest and you have integrity. And that means you really realize how, fa how, how fallible you are. You realize how many issues you have in your life, and you don't hide them. You're honest about them. You say, you know what, I messed that up. I'm really sorry. You know I hurt you. I'm going to take responsibility for that. That's what people with honesty and integrity do, and that creates a humility in their life. And I'll just tell you, that's where no I in team comes from, the message title for today. And so I want to share with you a story about Jesus' disciples in the New Testament. And what's really interesting, when you get into the New Testament, I don't know if you've read your Bible a ton, but when you get into Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Gospels, the story of Jesus um, as seen by his disciples, um, there's a ton of stories in there about the disciples. And you would think that the disciples are in the Bible, and because they're in the Bible, they're like the example that we're supposed to follow, right? Like that's like they're in the Bible. Obviously, they're important, and they they're really meaningful to the story. So we want to be like them. Well, here's what's fascinating when you read about the disciples, the 12 guys that Jesus picked to really represent him on the earth after he left. What you find with the disciples is more often than not, they're really idiots, okay? Just the reality is they do a lot of stupid stuff in the Bible that you're like, really? You're in the Bible and that's what you did? But it's like what you realize is one of the reasons they're in the Bible, I believe, and why all of their mistakes are listed in the Bible is because A, they were normal, regular people like you and me. Which means they made mistakes all the time. I mean, you probably don't, but I do. So they were just normal, regular people. And I believe they made those mistakes so that we could relate to them, but also so that Jesus could teach them life lessons and that those lessons 2,000 years later would still apply. 
So there's this moment in here where Jesus is beginning to reveal what's about to happen to him, that he's going to be killed and hung on a cross um, and, 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 be dead and, and, and die and be raised in three days. He's beginning to reveal this to them and to be honest and truthful with what's coming. And so he shares that with his 12 disciples in Mark 10. He says, they were on their way up to Jerusalem with Jesus leading the way, and the disciples were astonished, while those <coughs> who followed were afraid. Again, he took the 12 aside and told them what was going to happen to him. We are going up to Jerusalem, he said, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles, who will mock him and spit on him, flog him and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. Now, when Jesus is talking about the Son of Man, he's often referring to him, um, the, the Son of God. That's how he refers to, to his position and his title when he's talking to his disciples. And he's basically saying, look, I'm about to be handed over. And when I'm handed over, it's not going to be pretty. In fact, it's going to be gruesome. And everything you think you believe, everything you think you know about me, it's all going to be wrong because I'm about to be killed. And what happens in that moment is you would think, right? They're disciples, right? We're supposed to be like them. You would think in that moment that they would be heartbroken and go, Jesus, oh my gosh, how do we stop this? But that is exactly not what happens. Um, two of his disciples, this is they come to Jesus in that moment. And then it's verse 35. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him and said, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. So like rather than go to him, they don't even acknowledge what he just said. They're basically like, yeah, 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 whatever, the whole dying thing, good. I'm sure that's going to be really difficult for you. But we have a question for you, and we really want you to say yes before we even ask it. How arrogant, how missing the point do the, do the disciples need to be here? There's no humility, there's no sensitivity, total selfishness in this moment. Jesus just said, I'm about to die, and they said, we have a question, and we want you to say yes. And here's their question. He said to them, what do you want me to do for you? He plays along. And they said to him, grant us to sit one at your right hand and the other at your left in your glory. Now think about this. Jesus just said, I'm about to die. And they're like, okay, yeah, yeah, good. Sorry about that. But um, when you come into your kingdom, whenever that is, can we be number one and two in the kingdom? Can you believe that? In this moment where Jesus is revealing the future, they're asking about themselves. Talk about pride. Talk about me first. Talk about Jesus. We want to be number two and three right behind you. And then you get to uh, verse 41. Jesus says, no way, Jose, to both of them, by the way. Um, and, then, and then you've got um, where in Mark 10, 41, a little bit later, um, when the ten heard about this, the other ten disciples, they became indignant with James and John. They were furious. Oops, sorry. They were furious with him. And here's what you need to know about that, because you would think that, well, they're probably furious because, uh, you know, how, how dare they ask Jesus that question in that moment. I really think they were furious. You know why? Because they didn't ask first. I think that's why they were so mad. Because they're like, dang it, that's what we wanted to ask, man. We want to be number two and number three. Why? Because that's our human nature. So as usual, Jesus never wastes a teachable moment, right? He goes, okay, hey guys, let's, let's huddle up here. And then teaches, teaches them something that applies to us. Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus is saying, look, everybody else on earth does what you just did. 
put yourself above everybody else. But not so with you because you're my followers. You're on my team. And when you're on my team, that comes with a set of standards that are very different, in fact, upside down from the world. In fact, on my team, in the kingdom of God, if you want to be first, you've got to be the best servant of everybody. If you want to be first, you go to the back of the line. That's how it works in God's economy. Now, here's what's interesting about humility, because that really is what Jesus is teaching. Humility is not natural for us. It's just not natural. What you find is it's actually supernatural. Oh. That is the end of the first quarter. Now for a commercial break. All right. Well, this is going to be fun, isn't it? Um, so uh, we have a commercial for you. We want to give you a little bit of a heads up on what's coming the next three weeks. So why don't we check this out and see what's happening. Don't get up. No sex for a year. Want to make it too? <laughs> I love that. No sex for a year. He thinks about it one second. Nope, I'm good. That's so funny. Probably because he doesn't want what's in the room again um, on the next room over. Um, but anyways, we've got a series coming up um, starting. This is the start of the second quarter. Thank you. All right. So um, we've got a series starting next week called It's Just a Phase, and it is a parenting series. If you have ever um, thought to yourself as a parent, man, I wish I knew how to do this better, or I wish someone would help me with this, like the boat that I'm in with four kids. Um, starting next week, we're taking three weeks, and we're just talking about principles of parenting. And guess what? They are from if you don't have kids yet all the way to your kids are out of the house and grown. We are going to be talking about what it means to be a parent and how to do that well. So don't miss that series. Okay, let me jump back in here. Um, uh, with this humility is not natural, it's supernatural. Phil, Phil Jackson, I'm going to quote Phil Jackson of all people. Um, he's a championship winning NBA coach. Um, he says this, he says, he says, good teams become great teams when the members trust each other enough to surrender the me for the we. To surrender the me for the we. And I know some of you don't know this, but I'm the, I'm the chaplain for the Orlando Magic. I've been, this is my fifth season with them, and it has been a blast getting to know the guys. I spend a lot of time with them every home game. We're doing chapel, and one of my favorite guys on the team right now is Alfred Payton. And if you don't know who that is, he's the guy with the big hair sitting out front that flops around when he runs down the court. I asked him literally just last night. I don't even know why it came up. But I just said, dude, that's got to get in your way, right? You, you can't see when you're running down the court. He's like, Kevin, I'll just tell you. He's like, people are so funny. They ask me this all the time. He says, I never see it. He's like, I do not see it. He's like, if I ever did, it would be gone in a heartbeat. I'm like, cool, man. Like, I don't know how you don't see it. But if you don't see it, you don't see it. But here's the deal with Alfred, why he's one of my favorite guys on the team. 
He plays the point guard position, uh, which means he's basically the quarterback out on the floor. And last night, um, what, the way they do NBA chapels is they happen at 60. Everything before an NBA game, as far as the players are concerned and the staff, happens minutes before tip-off. So chapel's at 60. They have a team meeting at 45. Alfred is actually scheduled for 60 for his workout before the game, his warm-ups. So he comes in at 70 to get, spend a little bit of time with me, and uh, we just catch up and talk, and I share with him what I'm sharing in chapel. Well, this must have been like two months ago. He had been on a stretch of like two or three games where his stats were off the chart. He's playing like everybody knows he can. Uh, you know, he's just having a great run. And so we sat down at chapel, and, uh, and I'm just like, dude, you are tearing it up, man. Like your stats are through the roof. Well done. I, I love to see the direction that you're going. And, and he literally just looked, up, looked at me and just said, you know what? Like, thanks for the compliment, but it doesn't matter because we're not winning. And he's just like, so it's hard. It's not, it's not fun. And I just remember in that moment of going, look at this guy making it about we and not me. Because he's like, my stats don't matter. It's the win-loss column. It's team. It's, it's we over me. And I love that about him. So there's a humility to a group of people who are selfless. And there's a trust there because you know that other people are looking out for you and not just themselves. Now, that's the T. The A, or the E in team, the A. I can spell. I know I can. Um, team, the E, the second mark of a great team is everyone. Second mark of a great team is everyone because everyone matters. Great teams consider every single person on the roster as extremely important. Every person knows their roles and does their role and plays their role. That's the key to victory. On great teams, there's no bench warmers, there's no second string, there's no practice squad players. Everyone matters from the franchise QB to the locker room attendant. Great companies value everyone and sees them as vital to their success. It's no different in the church. See, the church back in the day when Scripture was written, when the Apostle Paul walked the earth, he wrote most of the New Testament. The church had gotten caught up in the game of hierarchy and power and authority and, uh, and, and lording over people. And here they had forgotten that everyone matters. So Paul writes to the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians 12. He says, just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. Now, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, stop being a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, stop being a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to, to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of, part of it. And I'll just tell you one of the things I've loved about being a part of the church since I was a kid one of, the parts of be, one of the things I love about being a part of the church in my teenage years, one of the things I loved about being part of the church in my 20s and 30s and now in my 40s is that every part of what makes a church work is important across the board. Every part 
that's played by someone that as a volunteer or as a staff member experiences this, this incredible sense of family, this incredible sense of community, and that's how we want to function here. I'll just tell you, um, this church does not win unless everyone here plays a role. And you might be going, you know, I don't, I don't know if I have a role here, and I'll just tell you, yes, you do. You have a role here, and we won't be what we're supposed to be until you're playing that role, when you're doing that role. And I'll just tell you what, what's at stake and how important this is. One out of every 10 people at every weekend service is a guest. They're here for the first time. 30 to 40 people a weekend are here visiting for the first time. And, and, and here's the question that I, I'm always asking, are we ready when they come in? Are we ready when they walk in the door? Uh, because every week we turn this school into a church and then back to a school again. We have volunteers right now that are loving on your kids and K-Kids and teaching them, teaching them about Jesus. We have ushers and greeters and parking teams and security people. And everybody does their job. We have people that love cooking. Um, that, that's their gift, hospitality. And I'll just tell you what they do. They bring breakfast here every Sunday morning around 8 a.m. And they feed with home-cooked breakfast all the people that are involved in making this place work in the morning because that's their gift. And uh, so our team here, we have 100 to 120 volunteer spots a weekend. Isn't that amazing? 100 120 people every weekend to make this place work. That's 400 man hours per Sunday. 1,600 hours per month are put into making Kensington work. That's at a minimum wage. Like we were to just pay you minimum wage. We pay like $150 an hour here for volunteers in, in Jesus dollars. Um, you get them when you get to heaven. Um, they're redeemable in heaven. Um, but let's just say we, we paid minimum wage. That's 3000 bucks a week and just minimum wage um, hourly work from people that are saying, I am in. $156,000. Why do they do that? Why would someone volunteer and do that? And that's this, because every guest here is priceless. Those 30, 40 people a weekend, absolutely priceless. We have a priceless window into their life. And we don't really realize what's at stake whenever a person um, walks through those doors. We also believe that every volunteer is a minister. It's called the priesthood of the believer. We really believe that every person is a priest. Every person is a, is a pastor. Every task is significant. There's nothing too insignificant to do. Everyone has something to give. That means everybody's attend at some area of their life. And, and God, God gave you that gift, and he says, use it to help build my church. And so let me just tell you what's it. Uh. This is the end of the second quarter. Halftime. Okay, well, as you guys know, um, you never know what musical act is going to make its way through that we're going to have here on Super Bowl Sunday. So I just want you to sit back and enjoy. Are you guys ready for halftime? You guys like halftime shows? Yep. I want you to sit back and enjoy this next artist that we have solely for us for our halftime show. Ladies and gentlemen, for your Kensington Super Bowl, we present Sting and the Police. Super Bowl, make some noise!
Time for Sting and the police. Well done, man. You look so much younger than I thought you looked. Thank you, That's good. Thanks, bro. Hey, man, nice hair. I really thought you didn't have hair either. So we're, we're just going back. Oh, there we go. <laughs> I love it, man. I love that. We just love to have fun. I hope you enjoyed that. I hope you're not sitting back there going, what is going on in my church? We just like to have fun. So, oh. This is the start of the third quarter. Thank you. All right, here we go. Um, so <clears throat> let, me, let me find where I was. Okay, 
This is where we were. I wanted to just tell you, what's at stake? Every Sunday when people walk through these doors, um, and I'll just tell you, I ran into a guy at Lowe's a couple months ago, um, and we just started talking, and I usually don't talk a whole lot at Lowe's. I kind of go in and get my thing, and I get out because I don't want to talk to many people because I got a mission that I'm on, right? That's how guys shop. Um, but <clears throat> we just start talking, and it just makes sense. As I'm listening to him, it's just starting to make sense to me. Man, this guy's really struggling, and he's really got some issues. And as we get a little more into it, like more than I want to get into at a Lowe's ever, but he's just kind of like, Wah. so we're just talking, and I just, I just start asking a few questions and start realizing that this guy doesn't know Jesus. He's not, not a part of a church. He's not religious at all, and his life's falling apart. And it was just one of those moments where I just said, hey, why don't you come visit my church? I would love to have you there. I think you might find some answers in what you're looking for at, at, at church. And um, I just got to tell you, see, so, so often we don't realize what's at stake in people's lives that walk through these doors. Because for some of them, some of the people that walk through these doors, their eternity is at stake. Because they don't know that Jesus loves them. They don't know that he's got a plan for their life. They don't even know that there's help available spiritually. People are walking in these doors all the time that have so much weight on their shoulders that they can hardly stand, um, but they're here looking for maybe I will find answers in God. And so they walk in our doors, their legacies are at stake, their families are at stake, their futures are at stake, their faith is at stake, and sometimes we have one chance. Sometimes we have one chance to introduce them to Jesus because that's all they're going to give us. And so that's why it's so important that every Sunday when we have this priceless window that we are absolutely ready for those guests to come in. And I'm talking all the way from, from what they find online when they find us, what they hit in the parking lot, having somebody welcome them there and someone at the tent here and greeters here, allow, like ushering them in and, and welcoming them and being friendly in a totally non-creepy way, right? Like we just like, we want people to get to this seat, to this point where they have had such a good experience getting into the door and into the seat that they're just ready to listen to what maybe God has to say to them. So it's like, why do our volunteers put so much time and effort into making this place work every Sunday? Because they realize, they realize that sometimes we have one chance and we want to make sure that we make the most of every opportunity. See, mark of a great team is everyone's important. Everyone on the team and for us, everyone that walks in that door. All right, so we're going to get into um, the A. And uh, before we do, I want to invite our ushers to come forward. We are going to receive our offering. And um, for those of you that are here, and this is your first time here, um, please don't feel like you need to put anything in the basket. This service is a gift to you. For those of you that here are here for the second time, you have to give double this week because you didn't give last week, okay? Um, I am totally joking. Um, please don't give anything. We don't want you to feel that pressure at all. We're grateful you're here. But for those of you that call Kensington home, this is a team moment. This is where we are, uh, this is where our attitudes are all in. That's what the next A is. It's like we are like, we're all in time, talent, treasure. So thank you for giving um, to our service. Man, I keep hitting that thing. I hope I'm not breaking it. Um, but anyways, the A in team is attitude. Attitude. Great teams have an all-in attitude. They will do whatever it takes to get to victory. They'll pay any price to get it done. This means that every minute of every day is focused on winning championships. 
And I'm just telling you, we should be the same in the church. Because I'll tell you, um, there, there, there is an attitude when you get into professional athletes' um, locker rooms, and they are all in. Their attitude is we will do whatever it takes to win. Um, the Apostle Paul, he wrote about this attitude that Christians are to have when it comes to this in uh, Colossians 3. Meaning if you're going to be a follower of Jesus, Colossians 3, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart. As working for the Lord, not for men. Paul is saying, look, whatever you do, everything you do, not just the big things, not just the Christian things, not just the secular things, not just the, or the little minor things, all of those things matter to God. Whatever you find yourself doing, work at it with all your heart. And work at it with all your heart for who? For God. He's our boss. Work for an audience of one. Give everything you have. Work at it with all your heart, not 75% effort. Work at it with all your heart. Give 100% effort because you're working for the Lord. You're working for God as if he is your boss. And I know some of you, you know areas of your life you're giving 75% effort right now. 50% effort. Paul is saying, look, if you're going to be a part of the kingdom, everything you do, work at it with all your heart as if you're working for God because he's your boss, not for men. See, Paul's reminding us that if you're a follower of Jesus, you don't work for the man. That's not who you work for. You work for God. You represent him every time you're every, any place in your work. Are you working as if you're working um, unto the Lord? And I've always thought this. I thought if Christians really lived out this verse in their work life, if Christians really worked with everything in their life, they worked 100%, they gave everything they had, they did it above reproach, they had honesty and integrity, I think Christians would be the most sought-after workforce ever. I think bosses, employers, non-Christian employers, um, and Christian employers would be falling over themselves to hire Christians. Because they know if they get a Christian, that Christian's not going to work for them. That Christian's going to work for someone that's, that's higher authority, and he's going to give 100% whatever, or she is going to give 100% whatever they're doing. I remember hearing the story from Andy Stanley. Um, he's a pastor in Atlanta, and one of his buddies was building um, a house for him. And uh, his buddy's name was Bob. And um, uh, Bob said one day he was on the job site and was having a really rough day. Some of the contractors weren't coming through, and he was just angry, and he was bitter, and he was, he was, he was you know, loud and being obnoxious because things just weren't going his way. And he said, while this is going on and everybody on the job site's a little tense, the Porta John guy shows up. And uh, he pulls up in this truck, blaring music everywhere. And, uh, and and he just, he just said, uh, looking at it, he's like, this is one of the most unpleasant jobs on our site because the port was right where they were working. It was like house port and you could smell everything that was going on in the port They're like, oh, they're like, oh, crap, the port here, right? port guy's here. And they know it's going to smell because he's cleaning it out. And he says, the guy comes out, big guy with tattoos, big muscles. He says he goes in the port and he's like, he's in there forever, bumping around, knocking around, making all kind of noises and stuff. And he's like, while he's in there, all of a sudden, these smells start coming out of the port and it smells glorious. Bob is like, it smells so good. We're looking at each other going, man, we shouldn't be saying this, but the, the John's smelling good. And so this guy comes out of the port after being in there forever, and Bob actually walks up to him, and he says, he says hey, man, you got that thing smelling so good, I actually think I want to go in there just to smell what it smells inside because it smells so good after. And he says, the guy looks at him and he goes, hey, the guy that whoever was servicing this before you has been doing a crappy job, like pun intended in the moment. Crappy job. But I'm going to take care of you. You are never going to have the problems you've had with this thing ever again from here on out. And Bob says, thanks. And he says, the guy looks at him. 
And he goes, I work for the Lord, gets in his truck, pumps the Christian music, and drives away. <laughs> How great is that? Here's what's interesting about Bob. Bob said he actually picked up his tools and went down to the end of the driveway and sat on the back of his truck in tears. Because he's like, here I am, and I'm having a bad day, and I'm angry. Ah, oh, so good. I was right at the best part. I hate you. This is the end of the third quarter. I was about to cry there. All right, never mind. Just kidding. Um, uh, but anyways, we're going to go to commercial break. Don't you love this? Okay, this is fun. Um, we're going to go to commercial break, and uh, we're just going to give you a little more preview of what's coming in the next three weeks. Mm, there you go. Yeah. Home by midnight. 11. the second time this week. What happened? <laughs> not, not joking, the guy on the right, Mike, he's one of my good friends. He, one of his friends that actually happened to him and his teenager, they actually hit a car in their parking. Oh. It's the start of the fourth quarter. Hey, if I were faster, I'd be coming at you. He said, he said that his, his, uh, his teenager actually hit a car twice in their driveway in one week. So that was the actual story of what happened. So let me just say again, if you are a parent of any sort or want to be um, a parent someday, this next three weeks is going to be absolutely fantastic for that. So, so uh, let, me, let me finish my little story here with Bob um, because he ended up at the end of his driveway completely overwhelmed by Portageon guy. And, uh, and he said he's sitting there on the back of his truck in tears because he realizes that he's having a rough day at work. And he's complaining, he's whining, he's angry, he's upset, and he's making everybody else feel it. And here comes a guy who probably didn't graduate high school thinking that this would be his job. And this guy comes in as if he's working for the Lord and does it with joy, does it with an incredible attitude. And Bob just said he just stopped and prayed and said, God, help me be like that guy. I just love that. I'm just telling you, if you want to be a mark of a good team, is that everyone on the team, their attitude is all in. They are all in. They are working at everything as if they're working unto the Lord. All right, the last one, the M. The last mark of a great team is they are missional. They're missional. Every great team plays and lives on mission. Every NFL team has one mission. What is it? Win a Super Bowl. Not just play in the Super Bowl. The great teams have a mission of winning a Super Bowl. Every NBA team has one mission. What is it? Win a championship. That's their mission from day one. And just as a football team or a company has a mission, we have a mission here at Kensington. And our mission is this, to see everyone transformed and mobilized by Jesus. And our attitude is we will do whatever it takes to see everyone transformed and mobilized by Jesus. Why? And I'm going to speak for my story, but this story is repeated hundreds of times in our church. I'll just tell you why it's so important to me that I live on mission and that we have a missional church. 
It's because Jesus Christ is the best thing that ever happened to me. Jesus Christ is the best thing that ever happened in my life. Giving my life up to him was the best decision I've ever made in my life. He has absolutely transformed me from what I was into who I am and made me the best version of myself most of the time. He has absolutely mobilized my life around a mission that's bigger than myself. And let me just tell you, there are so many people in life that have shrunk their life down to the mission being themselves. And you can do that. You can make your life small. You can make your life about you. You can make your life about your kingdom. And you can focus here all the time. Or what Jesus calls us to if we want to join his team and follow him. He expands our vision and our mission to not be just us, but to be everyone. He expands our mission to be about team and about the world, not about me and my world. He gives us the mission to see everyone transformed and mobilized. And I'll just tell you, I'm giving my life up to that because there's nothing else on this planet that's worth my life like seeing everyone transformed and mobilized by Jesus is. It's an eternal mission. Jesus gave us that mission, Matthew 28, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them everything I have commanded you and surely I am with you to the very end of the age. And I'll just tell you, our mission here is to reach every single person in this community with the love of Jesus Christ and the story of Jesus Christ. And I will tell you, we will go as far as using Sting on a Sunday morning for halftime. <laughs> to have somebody walk in these doors and go, I never thought I'd see Sting at church. I want to come back here. What's that about? Seeing everyone transformed and mobilized? Breaking people's paradigms about what church is supposed to be about? Letting people know that Jesus Christ is actually fun and following him is worth your life. And when you get on mission with him, your life becomes about something bigger than you. And when you get on mission with him and you are missional, your life becomes joy-filled. I'm like, I tell people all the time, hey, if the Bible's true, church should be the best hour of your week. Think about it. If the Bible's true... This should be a celebration every Sunday. This should be where we are challenged and we are inspired to live our life for God. Now, one of the ways we live on mission here is inviting people to here. Uh, most of us in the room are here because someone invited us. Someone took the, to, took the step of inviting us to come be a part of this. And I will just tell you, living missionally means that you create an inviting culture around you where you are regularly inviting people to church. And so let me talk to you about that for just a second because I cannot emphasize it enough. I'm going to give you four cues for inviting people to church if you want to be on mission with us and our team. Um, and there are four cues that you're listening for when you're in conversation with people around you. There's four nots. There's four things that people are going to say not in the sentence and it's going, to, it's going to make you go, oh, I need to invite them to church. And here's the first one. When someone says, I'm not from around here, which is a lot of us, right? When someone says, I'm not from around here, I just moved into the area, I just got a house over in Horizons West, I'm not from around here, you should go, oh, I need to invite them to church. You know how hard it is to get connected here in this area. Everybody's from all over the place. They shut their garage doors before they turn their cars off. It's a difficult place to get connected. When someone says, I'm not from around here, hey, come to my church. First cue. Second cue, I'm not prepared for this. 
talking life circumstances, someone has a baby and they're like, man, I'm not prepared for this, or the death of a loved one, I'm not prepared for this, or, you know, they just got married, they're really not prepared for that, or divorce, you know, they're not prepared to be single again, loss of a job, changing career, if someone says, I'm just not prepared for what's happening or I'm not prepared for what's coming, that should be a, hey, you know what, I'm going to invite you to church with me. If someone says, I'm not going to any church right now, that should just have you go, hey, I'm going to invite them to mine. You get in a conversation and they're like, where, you know, where do you go to church? Oh, I go to Kensington. Where do you go? I'm not going anywhere. Or, you know, we haven't found the right fit or anything like that. And they're not connected to a church. Um, I just want you to, that's a, that's a cue for you to go, hey, why don't you come with me? Come check mine out. I'll meet you there, whatever service you go to. And then the fourth knot is, is things are not going well in my life. That was my guy at Lowe's. He, was saying, he started talking to us. He man, things are not good in this guy's life. And he was like, okay, come to church with me. Come to church with me. Why do so many people serve at Kensington? Because they get our mission. They understand what's at stake every time a guest walks in our door, which are 30 to 40 every weekend. And they understand that if that guest has the experience that we want to create every weekend, that that guest and their children have the opportunity to meet Jesus and change their eternity, their legacy, their family, their faith, and their future. So for those of you that serve on our team, thank you. For those of you that don't yet, Today's your day to fill out what's in your program. Take that card, fill it out, drop it off back there at the starting point on your way out, and join our team. Be a part of the mission that we're on. We not only want you, but we need you because God's doing incredible stuff here, and we don't want to turn anybody away or, or change the guest experience because we know what's at stake. Let me pray for us. Jesus, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for the opportunity we have to just celebrate uh, the Super Bowl and, uh, and celebrate... Um, celebrate just a day in our country where everyone gets together and experiences community in a different way than normal. Um, Lord, I thank you for these principles of team, of, of a great team. And Lord, I pray that we would work at building these into our lives and into our hearts and into our minds. And um, God, I just pray for our team here that you are building. Lord, I pray that we would be a team that is full of trust, um, that we would see that every, we would always live out that everyone is so important, that our attitudes would be all in, and that we would be missional with our lives. Thank you, Father, for who you are and for what you're doing here in your holy name. Amen.